Our scripture passage today is 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. I'm reading out of the Pew Bible that's right in front of you. If you'd like to follow, or if you're in the balcony, it's underneath you. If you'd like to follow along, we are on page 1050. Page 1050, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. We're using the CSB translation today if you're using a digital Bible. What would you do today? What would you do if you expected Christ to return immediately? What would you do if you expected that Christ was going to return very soon? Many of you do expect this. The Thessalonians expected this as we're talking about them. Paul assured them that Christ was going to come soon, and so they lived expecting it. There had, in fact, been false teachers that had come amongst them saying, oh, Christ has already returned, you missed it, uh, and had strange teaching like that that Paul's had to address here with them. But there's another problem that happened amongst some of the Thessalonians as they were expecting Christ to return. Trouble is, some of them, it seems, quit their jobs. They just kind of stopped working. They were just so ready that Christ was coming back. Some of them, it seems, were just so excited about it that they couldn't do anything else. And perhaps you can relate to that. Perhaps you remember a time when you were extremely excited about a vacation. And in fact, so excited about the vacation that you were utterly useless the week before it uh, for your day job. Or perhaps you just know somebody else. We can put this on somebody else around you. Or you worked with somebody else who was not at all working because they were so excited about what was coming next that they did nothing that week and left the burden uh, to you or to others around you. And perhaps you know what it's like uh, to be looking forward to the next chapter in life to such a degree that everything is kind of a, a blur and a fog and it's hard to get anything done. Perhaps that's the best application for us. When I was coming here to be the pastor, I had told the executive pastor at the church I was coming from, a, a dear, dear church, uh, and this a dear friend, he was a worship leader and the executive pastor there, and I told him, I said, you know, I can stay as long as I need to, we can make the transition however you want to. If you need like a month or two, you know, I, I don't want to just leave you guys in a lurch, and I don't want to, what do you need? And he goes, no, 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 no. He goes, once you've made a decision to go, you need to go. <laughs> your heart and your mind are already probably in South Carolina. Uh, God bless you. Go, and we're going to get started on working without you uh, quickly. And he's right. Looking back, my heart and mind were already out here. I'm not sure that in those last two weeks that I was there, I was producing much fruit. So perhaps it's understandable that these people were focused on what was right in front of them, on what was next, the coming of Christ. But this is not the way it ought to lead us. Rather, for us Christians who live expecting the return of Christ as we are supposed to, it's not to make us less fruitful, but knowing that His return is soon is to make us more fruitful and to produce more work during that time. This passage will be helpful to anybody who's been worried or confused or not sure what they're supposed to be doing with their time or how they're supposed to be at work right now or even wondering how am I supposed to get along with other people who don't really seem to be interested in, in work? They're kind of just busy looking. Paul answers all these questions for the church today. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. Now we command you, 
brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. You yourselves, you know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you. We did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, we labored and we toiled. We worked night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. It is not that we don't have the right to support, but we did. Uh, but we did it to make ourselves an example to you so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this was what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. As for you, brothers and sisters, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of that person. Don't associate with him so that he may be ashamed. Yet don't consider him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always and everything. May the Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand, which is an authenticating mark in every letter. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord for us. I think it's fascinating and interesting to hear Paul talking about work, what it means to work, how one is supposed to work, the Christian work ethic. Are Christians supposed to be working continuously and all the time? Or do we rest? How much do we rest? At what point can you say you've done enough and it's okay to kick back for a little bit? What qualifies real work? And how is it separated from busyness that isn't work at all? These are the sorts of questions that Paul answers for us today. And the first is this. What kind of people ought you to partner with? He says, and he says within the church here, there are those who are kind of idle at the beginning of the section we raised. It's kind of not doing anything. He says, I don't want you to be like those because to not be doing anything is the same as not keeping the commands that we had. You read that one, uh, verse 6. Who is idle, keep away from every brother and sister who is idle and does not live according to the tradition received from us. Uh, the tr tradition that we have received is not one of kicking back and sitting around, but one of doing good, honest work. Then he also says further, there are these people who are not busy, but busy bodies. I think you already know what that means. You know what that phrase is. You perhaps in your life know what it's like to go through a season yourself and come out to the end of it and be like, man, I so much, I'm so busy, there's so much to do. I don't know that I have much to show for it though. Where did all that time go and where did all that energy go to? I think we all know what it's like to be busy but without fruit to it. So the first thing that he says to us is this. Be careful who you associate yourself with, and don't associate yourself with people who aren't doing a whole lot of work, but look like they're doing a whole lot of work, but simply aren't. We're not just to take care to not associate with those who are actively living in sin. This is what the book of Proverbs tells us again and again, you know, don't go with evil people, don't be with them. That's kind of a, 
Bible step one and parenting step one is don't be around evil people. But then there's a second part to it. You should, dear children, dear friends, dear all of you, you should, on the one hand, you're not associated with evil people, but you ought to also go near and be around the kind of people who are producing good fruit, the kind of people you see doing good work and you say, that, let, me, let me jump in with you. Let me help out. I want to produce good fruit as well. I also want to do good work. This is an issue that comes up with looking for me, looking for partnerships with other churches and other pastors. It's not a surprise to anybody that not everyone, everyone seems to be busy, but not everyone seems to be working with the same ethic or with the same idea or have the same inclination to be serving the Lord fruitfully. Or to put it another way, there are far more people who would like to get together than would like to get together for a meaningful purpose and do good work together. Or would like to get together but don't have a good idea of what that getting together looks like. So for me, I look for partnerships, not just with like-minded believers, but with also like work ethic believers, those who are serious about reaching people and serious about doing the Word of God. So this is how we partner. This is how you ought to partner as well. But Paul says something interesting. He says, but listen, you're not supposed to try and kick out people who, who are simply, you know, busy-bodied or stuck in a cycle or, or not doing the work or confused or spinning in circles. He says, you know, we're not to treat them as sinners, but rather to admonish them as brothers and sisters. The tone in this passage can seem sometimes harsh. If you're not going to work, you don't eat. Harsh but fair, I should say. But it's also a soft tone. He says, listen, if you're not going to work, you don't eat. But also, we're not looking to kick out people over sin about this. We're rather to admonish them and encourage them. We want them to see other people's fruitful hard work and, and be brought to shame by it, the sort of shame that would lead them to then doing godly work. I'm not trying to kick everybody out or treat them harshly, but to think carefully who you partner with. I talked with my mom once about this. Who's, she's led women's Bible studies for years and years and years. So Brenda Bird's led all kinds of women's Bible studies. And um, I was talking with her about a decade ago. And she and dad were uh, ministering actively in this church. And she had felt that what she needed to do was invite everybody in the church to the sorts of things that she was doing. You know, if she was going to have like a Bible study, uh, she, she felt like she had to invite everybody. She couldn't just invite a small group of people. But then she had one or two people who always came, and they talked a whole lot, and they didn't necessarily have something to say. And, and it kind of threw off the work that she was trying to do. And then for one reason or another, again, about a decade ago, she just felt like she had the permission to say, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to do something, but the goal of this Bible study is making disciples, and so I'm only going to, this isn't for everybody, I'm just going to invite a few people that I, I really think would be encouraged to following Christ better by this. And so she did something else. There's still plenty of things for everybody in the congregation. It wasn't exclusive, but she had a purpose, and the purpose needed to be focused on making disciples of certain people, and so it was okay and good and right for her to say, these are the ones who I'm going to gather together. And the purpose of them growing in discipleship means it can only be so many and not more in this situation. Perhaps this is the way for all of us. I mean, we're members of a church together, and we're all welcome to be gathering in all sorts of different things, but it doesn't mean everything has to be for everybody. If you have a ministry idea or a Bible study, by all means, call together. Some people would be encouraged by it. 
and bear much fruit. Make many disciples. Perhaps a distinction would be helpful for us that comes from Augustine. Uh, St. Augustine, we can call him. He had this distinction between those who were serious and unserious. And I really like that because it doesn't, it's not those evil people and <laughs> us good people, which is a real distinction if you are in Christ or not in Christ. There's another distinction, those who are serious or those who are unserious. And it's a helpful metric for thinking, just not critical like you're not a believer, but I, I want to be serious about this thing and doing this. And so I need to work also with some other people who are very serious about this thing and doing this. And if you're not serious about this thing, God bless you and I hope well for you, but, but I've got to work just with those who want to likewise be serious. And perhaps it will be helpful for you too, thinking about this distinction. Would you characterize your pursuit of Christ as serious or recreational? Would you characterize your pursuit of loving the Lord and bearing fruit as something that is serious to you or a hobby? Let us, each of us, be serious about work before God and serious about bearing fruit. We welcome and we extend fellowship to everybody, but let us look for work partners amongst those who are serious and who want to work hard and want to devote themselves to the Lord. And if anybody else has a question about this, then let's steer them, help them, don't admonish them, don't kick them out, but show them the way of working hard for the sake of Christ. Perhaps one reason why we shouldn't be too hard of other people here is because we ourselves have a propensity to be swamped and busy. Have you ever done this? Not talking about them now, talking about you, talking about me. <laughs> have you ever done this? Arrived at the end of the week or at the end of the month and known that you were awfully busy and now you're awfully tired from the work, but you're not exactly sure what happened or what got done. Do you know the difference between busy and busy-bodied? Whether you had a goal in hand or life just sort of happened at you. There's a lot of good secular wisdom about this, about how to prioritize the important over the imminent and things like that. But sometimes busyness just happens, and uh, the flow of the stream of busyness will just carry you along downstream without you ever reaching the destination that you wanted. Uh, I have been listening to Beth Moore's new memoir this week. Uh, I like to listen to autobiographies and memoirs, uh, especially if you can get them in the author's voice, if the author themselves is reading it. Uh, I've surely recommended this several times to you, but there's a great version of Tony Dungy's Quiet Strength, read by Tony Dungy, the coach himself. And uh, now I'm listening to Beth Moore's new memoir. She just came out with it this week, and it's I'm six hours into an eight-hour biography. I haven't finished it yet. Uh, but so far, it's incredibly powerful, and I do recommend it to you so far. It's awfully powerful. Her, it's hilarious. She's hilarious. Uh, and so she's funny talking about growing up in Arkansas, but it is, it'll bring you to tears with the grief of her talking about being abused by her own father. And that is a part of her story as well. But you get to a part where she's moved to Houston and knew that God had called her in life to ministry. And so she was teaching some elementary school uh, girls at 21. She was teaching elementary age Bible study when somebody told her, because it was the 80s, uh, that she needed, the church needed a women's aerobics class. 
You guys remember the aerobics craze? You guys remember leg warmers? You guys, you guys remember sweating to the oldies with Richard Simmons? I remember that. Beth Moore, yeah, they, they asked and insisted some other ladies at our church that she seemed like the right person to lead a women's aerobics class. For some reason, this church needed an aerobics class. And she sort of said, what does this have to do with Christ? And they said, I don't know, I guess we can do it to Christian music uh, instead. Because again, it was the 80s, and so we suddenly had contemporary Christian music. So there was Beth Moore that you could not sweat to the oldies, but, you know, sweat into the, not Beth Moore, um, Amy Grant. Uh, you could have the Amy Grant and the Michael W. Smith. So sweating to Michael W. Smith instead of the oldies is what they did. Uh, and she shared some Bible verses. And she talks about how she did this for years until somebody called her into actually teaching a Sunday school class again for women. And that's where she found her real calling. There's a lot of kinds of ministries and things you could do that are essentially aerobics classes that are kind of neither here nor there. Might in a sideways way, sort of bear some fruit. It might have done something, but that doesn't seem to have been the primary purpose of it. So for ourselves, each one of us, since the busybodiedness can sweep each of us along, and I tell you many times it has swept me along, where I ended a week and my head was still spinning and I'm not sure if I got anything done, to work hard for the kingdom requires fighting against the gravity of busyness. But perhaps a few tools to help us grade our activities, yours and mine. The way we would grade as to whether or not something was good, honest work before Christ is not necessarily, did you enjoy it? I hope you enjoy it. But just because something was fun doesn't mean it was good work before God or that it would bear fruit. Likewise, did it draw a group is not going to be a good enough standard for us. I hope that all good ministry activities draws plenty of people together around it, but that alone will not be enough for us. Rather, all the work that we do, we will have to evaluate it by these metrics. Did it encourage faith in other people? Did anyone trust Christ? Did I proclaim Christ crucified and resurrected? After all, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So if Christ crucified and resurrected, if Scripture is not proclaimed, then perhaps it's not the right thing to put your energy into. And if the idea is we'll do this activity, we'll do this ministry, we'll do this thing, and we'll tie a Bible verse onto the side of it, perhaps that is still an indictment against it. Or maybe this will help you. The goal is not judgment, but the goal is to help you get out of busyness, as I have been in busyness plenty of times. Here's one. How were you praying for this beforehand? What was your hope? You know, were you praying that everybody would have a good time, or were you, which by all means do, I, I hope everybody enjoys the worship service today, and that we have a great time worshiping the Lord? Or was the goal that people would come to trust Christ and people would repent of their sins in your prayers beforehand? Finally, he says, do not grow weary in doing good. So first, think through who you're partnering with. Not just not evil people, but also those who are very serious about working for the Lord. Get with those people and work together with them. Second, as our passage says, be, be hard at work and not just busy-bodied. 
not all busyness is productive. So how can we do things that are productive before the Lord? And then third, don't grow tired of doing good things. You know, there are many good books out there that can help you with this. They can give you encouragement. Uh, Jim Simbolo put out a classic, gosh, 30 years ago now, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire, which was very helpful. He's so encouraging. But really, as far as not growing weary of doing good, Christ, Jesus Christ is our perfect example. He didn't entrust himself to the crowds, but he chose a specific set of disciples. You see this? monitoring who he was around. All the crowds came to him, and he received all the crowds, but he didn't entrust himself to the crowds, and rather picked a progressively smaller group of people to teach and to disciple and to call into his ministry, a small group of men and women who followed him closely and were serious about it. He also set his face towards Jerusalem. It's a beautiful passage, a beautiful phrase that you hear again and again in Scripture. Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem. There were all kinds of more, surely there were more towns that he could have gone and visited. And surely there were always more people that he could have healed. But Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem because he knew that his purpose was to come and die on the cross for sins. And nothing would distract him from his purpose, nor would he be dissuaded from it even by other good works. He didn't trust himself to everybody but to a few. He set his face towards Jerusalem And finally, he got tired, but he never grew weary of doing good. Perhaps it would be helpful for us to make a distinction between tired and weary. You know what it's like to be tired. Go take a nap and come on back. But you also know what it's like to be weary and not want to do the work anymore. Christ never grew weary of doing what is good, and let us not either. We get tired, and when you get tired, by all means, rest. The Christian work ethic, whatever it is and however you want to phrase it, includes rest. If God who created the universe and doesn't need rest set out the seventh day for Himself to sit and rest for our sake, then you should understand that there is something godly about resting, and there's something powerful about our need to know that we are insufficient to do all the work ourselves, but we must rest and somebody else must do it, and that ultimately it is in God's hands and not in our hands. We get tired all the time, every day, every day about 3 p.m. and then also again about 9 p.m., right? We get tired. Get tired and rest, by all means. But don't grow tired of doing what is good. Don't grow weary of what is good, but instead, by all means, continue to do it. Christ grew tired and slept, but he did not grow weary. And so he set his face towards Jerusalem and made atonement for sins for us by his death on the cross. Again, there are many books that we could point to about good work ethics and good habits and highly effective habits but we have Christ right in front of us, the author and perfecter of our faith, who didn't entrust himself to everyone but just to a few, who set himself towards Jerusalem, the task at hand of dying, and who, though he got tired, never grew weary of doing what is good. Perhaps today, you need to rethink the company that you keep, not condemning them, not being a jerk to believers around you, 
But just thinking through, if you are going to make a commitment to be serious, looking for other serious people to be around so that you can put down some good work together before the Lord. Perhaps today you need to reevaluate your life and efforts. Have you gotten sidetracked? Have some things started to take up time in your life that aren't fruitful? Did you set yourself, did you set your face towards following and obeying Christ, but some stuff has come up in life? Perhaps today you need to reorder and reorganize your priorities. And perhaps today you just need this encouragement. Do not grow weary of doing what is good. Dear friends, don't grow weary of doing what is good. At the proper time, we will reap what we sow. As Paul says to the Galatian church, don't grow tired and don't quit before it is your time, but continue doing what is good until the very end. To the one, to the person here today who needs to change their life and direction, be encouraged by Matthew 20. To the person today who has felt themselves just busy but not actually doing anything good, I've got good encouragement to you today from Christ. Matthew chapter 20 he tells a parable of workers going out into the field, and some of them start in the morning, and then some of them start at 10 a.m., and some start at 3, and then some start at 5 p.m. at quitting time. But when they go to get the reward from the master, they all receive full payment. And God says, I am generous to everyone, to all who come. So listen, if you feel like you're late to the party or you're late starting, don't worry. God is generous, and His reward is there for you as well. Just start now and start today. Turn away from the unfruitful life and live a serious one before Him. If today is the day for you repenting and turning back to meaningful service before Christ, then today is also the day when you get to proclaim the grace and forgiveness of Christ and that His death on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of your sins and all of your wasted time. Consider only for a moment today how much time you've wasted and then be done with that and consider only how great is the grace of God towards sinners like us. Make a decision to be done with the past, with unseriousness, with waste, with busybodiedness, turn from it and lay your entire life before Jesus as an offering to Him. And listen to the words of Scripture, come, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and instead let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, and let us keep our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the very joy set before Him, set His face towards Jerusalem. He endured the cross, He despised the shame, and He made atonement for our sins. And now, since the work is done, He is seated at the right hand of the Father by the throne of God. Dear friends, today we will take the Lord's Supper. And in taking the Lord's Supper today, we will proclaim that Jesus' death and resurrection are sufficient to pay for all of our sins.